The beginning of a new year tends to be a time of reflection for many people. It's a time that we tend to evaluate our lives. <clears throat> it's a time that we look to the past and see the things that need fixing, the things that need improvement. And we look forward to a new year so that we can better be of service in the kingdom of Christ. You know, we look for ways that we can improve our behavior, our, our habits, the things that will help us to, to be a better Christian. Many people make resolutions, you know, whether it's a mental list or something that they actually write down. We tend to think about things that will, will help us to improve uh, something in our life. T statistics show that uh, resolutions usually are not kept, that they're usually dropped by the wayside very shortly after we make them. But as we as Christians get ready, or as we've already entered into a new year, I think it's certainly appropriate for, for us to consider our own lives and make sure that we're living in a way that honors God, and that brings the blessings that come with living life in a manner that's consistent with his character and his will. Turn with me to Psalms 90. I want us to read there that, that psalm in its entirety as we consider the thoughts of the morning. O Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man to destruction and, re and say, Return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, and like a watch in the night. You carry them away like a flood. They are like a sleep. In the morning they are like grass which grows up. In the morning it flourishes and grows up, and in the evening it is cut down and withers. For we have been consumed by your anger, and by your wrath we are terrified. You have set your iniquities, our iniquities before you. Our secret sin is in the light of your countenance. For all our days have been passed away in your wrath, we finish our years like a sigh. The days of our lives are seventy years, and if by reason of strength... They are eighty years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow. For it is soon cut off, and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. So teach us to number our days. That we may gain a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? And have compassion on your servants. O oh, satisfy us early with your mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us, the years in which we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants, and your glory to their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. And establish the work of our hands for us, yea, establish the work of our hands." I hope to use the thoughts of this psalm this morning as to help each of us to evaluate our lives and determine how we ought to live in the light of God's Word. Psalm 90 is believed to be the oldest psalm and, and written by Moses. 
And though Scripture doesn't reveal this to us, I can only imagine that uh, Moses may have written this psalm during the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. We know how that God had led his people to the promised land. They disobeyed. They refused to obey. They refused to go in and take the land. So God said, you're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, and this generation is going to die off. Can you imagine Moses as he watched that, as he watched an entire generation of people die? 70,000 people is the estimate that died there in the wilderness. So don't you think that Moses would have been thinking or concentrating about the brevity of life, of the importance of decisions that we make on a daily basis? I hope that you and I will consider that this morning as we consider the thoughts that, that we have to present. So as we look at this psalm, let's think about the things that I think this psalm tells us. And I think there's three main things that we find as we read through this psalm. Number one is that God is eternal. Number two, that life is short. And then number three, that we should number our days. What does that mean to number our days? That means that we consider the brevity of life, that we consider our own life, our own actions, and that we adjust those actions accordingly. I think it's so important that we do that. You know, most resolutions are centered around weight loss or, or healthy lifestyles of some sort, and, and there's some value in that. You know, this first week of the new year, that's what you see on TV. All the advertisements are, are about the latest diet uh, or the latest weight loss program or, or being about a, a healthy lifestyle. Let's think about having a healthy spiritual lifestyle, and that's what I want us to, to consider here this morning. I want all of us to think about resolutions that actually mean something. And so I ask you, what would that be? What would that look like if we were thinking about spiritual resolutions, things that we want to make changes in our life in, the, in this new year? Well, I've thought of just a few, and I want to share those with you this morning. The first one is that I hope that we will all resolve to be more Christ-centered. Matthew 16 and verse 24 says, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. What does it mean to deny self? What does it mean to be Christ-centered? I think of David and, and the conversation that, that we find written in 2 Samuel 24. You know, David had... Uh, he had disobeyed God, and he had numbered the armies of Israel. And because of that, God sent a pestilence on the people. I just realized I got my numbers mixed up. I told you 70,000 died in the wilderness. It was 70,000 that, that died here because of David's sin. But David repented of that, and Gad told him, he said, You go and you buy a th threshing floor of Aranah, and there you offer sacrifice so that the plague will be stayed from the people. So David did that, and as he went, Aaronach saw him coming, and he said, Why are you here? And David said, Well, I want to buy your threshing floor so that I can make a sacrifice. Aaronach said, Here it is. You take it. It's yours. And he said, Here's the threshing floor. Here's wood. There's oxen here. There's, there's everything you need for a sacrifice. It's yours. But what was David's response? David said, I will not make a sacrifice to my God that does not cost me something. 
If we're going to live a Christ-centered life, it's going to cost us something. It has to be something that we put our effort into. It has to be something that we do uh, intentionally. If we're to live a Christ-centered life, as I said, it's going to cost us something. I think one of the greatest challenges that we have, as Christians have is being consistent in prayer and study time. As I talk to other people, I, I see that that's a struggle. I know that's been a struggle in my life. We all have a limited amount of time, and it's what we do with that time. It's about time management. If we're going to live a Christ-centered life, it's going to cost us some selfish desires. It's going to cost us leisure activity. It's going to cost us our time. And as I said, time management is of great value. You know, each night when I go to bed, I set an alarm on my phone and I leave it in, in my bathroom on my vanity because I, I know that that's 20 steps away from the bed. And so when that alarm goes off, I've got to get up. But for Father's Day, my family bought me a smartwatch. You know what I figured out on that smartwatch? The very first thing was when that alarm goes off on my phone, I can turn it off right here. <laughs> so what does that do? I, I turn it off or I hit snooze. Well, 15 minutes later, 30 minutes later, I jump out of bed and I'm behind. And, and so then what does my mind do? I go to thinking, well, what am I going to cut out of my morning schedule to make sure that I get back on schedule to do what's got to be done today? You know, I can say all day what's important to me. I can say that God's Word is important, that, that prayer time is important, but I show what's important by the decisions that I make that morning when I'm running behind, don't I? I tell God what's most important in my life by the decision that I make. As I said, I think this is a challenge for everybody. But I'll remind you of something that Michael McCorkle told us one time when he was here. He said, you know, it takes approximately 30 days to build a habit. He said, Proverbs, the book of Proverbs has 31 chapters. Why not take one chapter a day and read that corresponding <coughs> chapter to the day of the month that you're on and get into a habit? You know, if we do that for a period of time, we've developed a habit. And then we can move on to other Bible reading, to other study. It is something that we have to be very intentional about as we work on building good habits. Ephesians 5, let's read there in verses 15 and 16. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time for the days are evil. That word circumspectly means diligent or perfectly or or perfectly, and from a root meaning straight or exact or careful. If we're going to live a life that is centered on Christ, we have to be intentional in everything that we do. I'm reminded of Daniel and his lifestyle. Daniel 1 verse 8, the Bible says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. It says Daniel purposed in his heart. This was not something that Daniel just jumped up one day and said, I think I'm going to start this habit or this is one thing that I'm going to focus on. It was something that he purposed. It was something that was very, very important to him 
and it was an intentional thing that he did. If we're truly centered on Christ, it will be evidenced in our lives. You know, Christianity is not a hobby. It requires our all. You know, last Sunday, Jacob Richburg led a prayer here in our worship service, and he said something in that prayer that really made me think. He prayed that we would not just be Christians on the outside. I think that's something that, that I've got to look at myself honestly about. We can't just do and say the things that we think make us look good. We've got to be Christians on the inside. We've got to be convicted, and we've got to allow those convictions to make a difference in our life and lead us to decision. First John 2 and verse 6 says, He who says he abides in him ought also himself to walk as he, just as he walked. I guess I left a scripture off. Y'all excuse me. Let me reread that. 1 John 2 verse 6, He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. If we're going to be Christ-centered, we have to look like Christ. We have to act like Christ. What if in 2019 we become more determined to be church-centered? And again, I ask, what does that mean? If I'm going to be church-centered, read with me from Hebrews 10, verses 24 and verse 25. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. The church is a community of people with one common goal. What do you as an individual Christian in this congregation, what do you see as being the benefits of being a part of the whole? What do you see as a benefit of being a part of this congregation? I ask myself that same question. And here's just a, a few of the things that I thought of. This is a group of people that have shared my greatest joys and my most difficult heartaches. There are people in this audience that are willing to tell me the things that I need to hear, not what I want to hear. There are people here that love me enough to encourage me and help me through the times that I think I can't make it. And you know what? I have the opportunity to do the same for each of you, and I hope I can do that. I can't get that in the world. That's not something that's available for us out there, but it's available here within the body of Christ. Philippians 2, verse 2, Fulfill ye my joy, that ye may be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Isn't it great that we can be like-minded, that we have brothers and sisters in Christ that have the same struggles that we have, that have the same challenges that we have, and they can help us through those things. You know, I look back on the time that, that Rhonda and I were raising our boys, and I think about all of the rest of you in this congregation that were doing the same thing that we were. You know, we spent 
a lot of time we traveled a lot of miles doing things with our children. Some of the greatest things that we did was to participate in a summer meeting or to take those kids to, to Kidsville or Wonderland or any number of things that we did to try to build relationships within the body of Christ. The greatest joy that I see when we consider all those things is those very same young people are those very same young people that are here today raising their own families. And how many times is it that when we leave the worship service, they're the ones that are here standing in the pews, still talking and visiting, building those relationships and enjoying fellowship with other Christians. Isn't that wonderful and isn't that a blessing? The benefits of being a part of a congregation are equal to the, to the investment that we make. I thought about the example of a, a retirement account, and a lot of, of companies will offer uh, matching funds for, the, for their employees. If they put in a certain amount into uh, retirement, well, they'll, they'll match that with another amount. That's an investment that continues to compound, and that's what happens when you and I invest in the church. When we put our time and our effort into this congregation and the people of this congregation, we're going to be the ones that receive a benefit from that. What if in 2019 we determined to be more home-centered? Read with me from Psalms 128. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy and it shall be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the, heart of your very in the heart of your home, your children like olive plants all around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you out of Zion. And may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Yes, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. When I read this psalm, I think it's a very beautiful picture of what a home life should be. About the interac interactions of husbands and wives and parents and children. And what does he say? He says when, when we do that, we're going to receive a blessing. How is it that we interact within our home? Are we building those relationships, whether it's marriage relationships or or those with our children. It's something that takes our constant effort. It's something that we have to work at. Deuteronomy 6, verse 6, speaking of, of training children, it says, And these words which I command you this day shall be in your heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine heart, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. What do these verses tell us? This was in the old law, and, and he was talking specifically about passing on the law or God's precepts to children. He said it's a continual process. It's not something that you do every once in a while. He says it's something you do continually. When you wake up, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, 
It is something that should be in the very fabric of our lives, something that we do every day and taking advantage of every opportunity. Ephesians 6, verse 4. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That word nurture means the whole training and education of children, which relates to the cultivation of mind and morals. There's so so much instruction in the New Testament about how we are to train children, the responsibilities of mothers and fathers, the responsibility of older men and older women in the congregation. It's something that we need to be consistent in. You as parents must invest in your children. It's your job as parents to make sure your children are plugged in to spiritual things. Take advantage of teachable moments. Things can be just as simple as sitting around a dinner table and taking time to be together. Sometimes the conversation is deep, and sometimes it's very frivolous. But those are times that we can take advantage of teachable moments. Uh, I think my boys decided or felt like sometimes I was too strong on the exhortation and uh, maybe preached to them too much. But you know, when we're just sitting in a casual setting like that, we can, can convey thoughts, we can convey principles and ideas that will be of great value to them and things that will help them as they grow. One thing that I always think about is something that someone told me a long time ago and it said about raising children, you can't have rules without relationships. As parents, you've got to invest in your children. You've got to take the time to be a part of their life. What if in 2019 we have more compassion for others? You know, as we look around us today, people are hurting everywhere. They're hurting because of the deception of the devil. Individuals suffer a great deal. You know, Hugh talked about this last week, and and I'll be honest with you, this is something I struggle with, and and maybe you you do too. I tend to be black and white. I want to put everything in in my box and and feel like there's a a clear-cut answer. And and there is, according to God's Word. Don't, Don't misunderstand me. But I want to be too cut and dry sometimes and not have the compassion for others that I need to have. As Hugh said, these, we see people in the world that are struggling, and they're struggling greatly. And to them, it is so real, even though it may not make sense to me, it's real to them. And so we as Christians have a responsibility to respond to them in love and compassion and to try to help them through that. Nine times in the gospel, just in the, in the first four books of the New Testament, nine times in the gospel, it says, and Jesus had compassion. Whether it was on an individual or a group of people, we find that was the way that Christ operated. He had compassion. In, first John, uh, or in John 8, the, the scribes and Pharisees had brought a woman to Christ that was caught in the act of adultery. They wanted immediate punishment, didn't they? They knew what the law said, and they brought her to Christ, and they said, here's what she did. What are you going to do about it? But what did Christ say to them? What was his response? 
He said, ye that are without sin, cast the first stone. Did, God, did Christ condone the woman's sin? Not at all. He told her to go and sin no more. But we've got to have that same compassion that Christ had. What is our response when we see others suffer and sometimes suffer because of their own choices? Do we have compassion or do we entertain the idea that some of Christ's apostles did? In Luke 9, verse 52, it says, And sent messengers before his face, and they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him, for Christ. And they did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elias did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, You know not what manner of spirit you are of, for the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went on to another village. Do we exhibit the, the attitude that James and John did here sometimes, that people are, they've made their choices and, and they have to uh, lie in the bed that they've made, so to speak. Do we tend to not have the compassion that we should. Christ said, you don't know what manner or what spirit you have. He said, I'm come to save men. I'm come to help people. And that should be our attitude as well. 1 Peter 3, verse 8 and 9 says, Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love his brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise, Blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. You know, whether it's our fellow man or our fellow Christian, everyone experiences struggles in their life. And to them, it is very real. Each of us as individuals and as families have struggles, and we need to put ourselves in others' shoes and offer them the true love and compassion that we expect and that we need. What if in the new year we increase our kindness? What if we were kind in every aspect of our life? Again, this includes our family, employees, co-workers, and just people that we don't even know that we pass on the street sometime. We started harvest this year. We had been harvesting about three days, and a temporary employee moves off of a module without opening the gate on the module builder. You can imagine what that did. It, it made a big mess. One of the other guys called me and told me what happened, and I knew that I had to be careful about my response. So what I did is I didn't go over there for a few minutes. I waited a little while. When stuff like this happens, I think about my dad raising three boys, and I remember the, the things that I messed up and the, the grace that he offered me. We've got to offer people the same grace, the same kindness that we expect. Uh, and too often, our first impulse is to chew somebody out or go tell them what they did and, and how bad they messed up. Just a couple of days ago, Rhonda and I were in Lubbock. We were in a Walmart, made a purchase, and we walk out, and the alarm system goes off, and there's another guy walking out just as we are. The employee stopped him and not us. Rhonda turned around with her sack and went back, but this other guy was just totally indignant. He opened up his sack and he said, all I've got in here is groceries. What's the matter? 
These guys were just doing their job, you know. They didn't need that. Again, is what's our response when things like that happen to us? Do we take on the attitude of the Good Samaritan? I think about that story, and here's a guy who, he didn't know the person, he didn't know the circumstances leading up to this event, but he simply had a love and compassion for his fellow man. He acted out of kindness, not expecting anything in return. Do we have that kind of attitude? Do we do that on a daily basis? Truly, it's something that I think we need to think about. You know, all of us as Christian have, Christians have different talents. There are guys that are great public speakers. There are, there are people that are uh, great song leaders. There are ladies in our congregation that have multiple talents. But you know, each and every one of us have the ability to be kind. We have the ability, but do we make the choice? And I think that's what we've got to consider. Let's read in 2 Peter 1, beginning with verse 5, and it says, And besides this, give all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Again, we've got to extend the kindness, the things that we need and expect in our own lives. It's been said, people will not remember what you say, but they will remember how you make them feel. And I want each of us to think about that, whether it's with our spouse, our children, our co-workers. I think we can all look at times in our lives when we made people feel uncomfortable or made them feel uh, that they were less of a human being, so to speak. Our words are very powerful and our actions are even more powerful. Are we harsh with others? Or do we extend kindness? What if in the new year we took our soul more seriously? Let's read from Luke 10 beginning in verse 40. But Martha was, excuse me, but Martha was distracted with much serving... And she approached him, Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried about and troubled about so many things, about many things. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. Are we sometimes like Martha? Are we distracted with the things of this life? You know, serving others is not a bad thing. But are we so involved in the things that we're doing that we forget about what's most important? Do we forget about sitting at the feet of Jesus? Do we fail to take that opportunity? When we think about this, taking our soul seriously, it's important that we evaluate our own lives and that we remove those things that simply do not matter. Read with me from Matthew 24, 
in verse 38 and 39. In the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Do we do this sometimes? Do we live our lives just involved in the things that, that we have on a daily basis and we have this false sense of security? This verse talks about a time when people were just going about their life, doing their own thing, thinking that tomorrow was going to come, and then the flood came. Let's not lull ourselves into this feeling that everything's going to just continue as it is. We've got to be truly focused on the things that are important, the things that matter, and the things that, will be, that we can do uh, to influence others. Let's not go about living our lives on the surface, but rather we need to get down to the meat. We've got to get down to the things that are urgent and make us move. What if in 2019 we engage with people more than pixels? You know, technology is a wonderful thing, and it's something that I, I read this. Somebody said that we are experiencing things today that we saw in science fiction movies years ago and we really didn't think would happen. Technology is amazing and there's so many blessings that come from it. But it's like uh, every other aspect of our life. Moderation is key. We've got to be careful that we continue to build relationships rather than relying on technology. I want to share with you a few quotes. As I was studying this, I ran across a, a piece from Pew Research and it it cited some uh, quotes from people that are in the technology industry and from people within the education uh, field. I want to just share a few quotes with you. First of all, one said, We have less focus, too much multitasking, and not enough real connection. Another said, 50, Over 50% 50 of U.S. children over 10 now have some sort of social network-based application, whether it be Instagram, Snapchat, or Minecraft. These children are always looking for what they may be missing online. They are increasingly finding it hard to be present and focused. Another said digital life will continue to erode personal interactions. And then finally, one says, this generation must learn how to turn off their notifications and find satisfaction in solving problems that aren't solved in a snap, but take years of dedication. We must get away from this mindset of instant gratification. Relationships take time and they take effort. And I think we as individuals have to be honest. We've got to honestly make an evaluation of our own life. Rhonda and I were in a restaurant the other day and, and we noticed there was a young couple came in as we stood and waited for a table. This young lady had her phone in her face the whole time. We then observed her when she sat down at the table and she was eating with one hand and looking at her phone with the other. And her husband was just sitting there enjoying a meal by himself. Now that's easy for me to point the finger at somebody else, but I've got to point the finger back at me and ask myself, am I honest with my use of technology? Am I honest with the decisions that I make? 
I go back to that, that quote that we read about children, and, and it said that they are finding it hard to be present and focused. Do you ever experience the same thing? Do you grab your phone and with one purpose in mind and a notification pops up and leads you to something else and to something else and something else and, and you end up spending 20 minutes when you intended to take two? Again, let's take an honest look at it. Finally this morning, let's consider in the new year to choose someone to forgive. When I say that, who, who comes to mind? Is there some event or some person in your life that you have not forgiven? Again, I think we've got to take an honest look at ourselves. If we continue to bring up a, a wrong that has been done to us, we haven't forgiven. When we see that person and that comes to mind, that's not forgiveness. So why should we forgive? First of all, because it's commanded. Colossians 3 and verse 13 says, Forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Again, I ask you, why should we forgive? Because it pleases God and it frees the one that forgives. I heard it said, bitterness does more harm to the vessel in which it is stored than the vessel into which it is poured. We cannot grow spiritually or enjoy God's blessings as long as we have resentment in our heart. Forgiveness is a wonderful thing and it's pleasing to God and beneficial to all. So in conclusion this morning, what if we all had the ability to know when our life would end? What if we knew that 2019 was the last year that we would live? What choices would you make? What would be most important to you? I hope that you all will take seriously the things that we've discussed here this morning and I hope in some way it will help you as you walk uh, your Christian uh, walk each day. We want to offer the invitation of the Lord this morning. If you're here today and have been taught and would like to respond in uh, baptism, we want to invite you to do that. If you're here and have a spiritual need, something that we as a congregation can pray with you and, and pray for you, we would like to do that and we'll ask you to come as we sing the song of invitation.